Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. In this episode, we're looking at the history of the unsung pioneers of space travel, monkeys and chimpanzees. Before rockets were safe enough to take humans, and even after, NASA and rival organisations sent apes into space to test conditions without risking human life. These primates risked life and limb, faced incredible danger and adversity, and saw more than most humans ever will. Now, over 50 years since the height of the space race, there are new questions to be asked. With a modern perspective on animal welfare, the conditions these apes were put under are dubious, to say the least. This is the story of the Space Monkeys. November 29th, 1961. Enos the chimpanzee is locked into his capsule, ready to launch. Outside, things are reaching breaking point. With a two and a half hour delay due to various errors, the NASA team is stressed, to say the least. Mission director, Walt Williams, has personally driven down to the site himself to hurry people up. They need to get this rocket in the air. By 10.00 hours, it's go time. Mercury Atlas V launches, with Enos wrapped up inside. Throughout liftoff, the chimpanzee experiences the normal weight of gravity at eight times its normal rate. His small body is squeezed and pushed by the pressure until he finally makes it out into the atmosphere and sits in orbit. In front of him is a set of levers and lights. Designed to test that logical thought is still possible in space, a series of clear tests has been devised. Enos is trained to pull certain levers, receiving a banana pellet when he pulls the right one, and a slight electric shock when he pulls the wrong one. Smart, to say the least, he capably begins the flight pulling all the correct levers. Which, unfortunately for Enos, doesn't make a difference, as the ship quickly malfunctions and begins shocking Enos every time he pulls a lever. Yet Enos pushes through, following his training, despite the pain. Meanwhile, he is orbiting the Earth. While the first orbit goes smoothly, the environmental protection measures are quickly falling apart. Things are heating up, with Enos's body temperature getting as high as 38 degrees Celsius. One of the thrusters goes out, forcing the others to pick up the slack, pushing the ship into a pattern that is quickly eating through its fuel. As it nears the end of its second orbit, NASA makes the quick decision to fire the ship's retro rockets and bring it back towards Earth. It isn't long until a recovery pilot spots Enos's capsule slowly parachuting down into the ocean but it takes three hours before they can get a boat out there to pick him up. When they do catch up to him, they're distressed to find that Enos has broken his seemingly unfazable cool. Having torn his constraints off and destroyed the bulk of his capsule, 
Enos is extremely upset and aggressive. With the help of some fresh fruit, NASA manages to calm Enos down. Still, they know it's a bad look, electrocuting a chimpanzee repeatedly to the point of snapping and taking him to hell and back. And thus, this launch is swept under the carpet. Enos becomes the forgotten chimp, yet another footnote in the long story of the space race. Two years later, he passes away for unrelated reasons. His bones are yet to be found. In the late 1940s, following the events of World War II, the early tensions of the Cold War are beginning to fall into place, and with them, the space race. The goalposts shift frequently, from getting into space, to getting into orbit, to the big test, getting a person into space. The Soviet Union has a strong lead on America from the get-go, and the US is playing catch-up. It's a game of both speed and public relations. If there are any screw-ups, they are happening on an international level. Our guest, Matthew Wood, is a science writer with a history of writing for middle-grade students. His book, Space Race, How the Cold War Put Humans on the Moon, is a great text. And here, Matthew talks about why apes were sent to space in the first place. It's kind of a sad answer. I mean, back when we were first looking at sending you know, people into space, the idea was, can people actually survive you know, without Earth gravity? What would it be like in a high radiation environment? I mean, scientists really had no idea. They're like, are we going to be able to swallow food in space? Are, can we drink water? You know, can we sleep? Are we going to have like space madness? I mean, people, people were really concerned about something that sounds silly, but they, they had absolutely no idea. So what they wanted to do was to test it out on the first creatures that they could find that would easily fit inside of a tiny small capsule. So like they sent, uh, I think the first thing they sent up into space in the 40s were, um, it was like a box of fruit flies just to see what radiation would do to them. But obviously, I mean, we're real different than fruit flies. So the next idea was, you know, what's the closest thing that we can send up into space that's like a human? So they looked at other primates and the first thing that they, you know, decided to test were monkeys because, you know, they're very much like us. We share a lot of our DNA with them. And on top of that, monkeys like rhesus monkeys and macaques and like, like a, what they call squirrel monkeys are tiny. And, you know, in the late forties and early fifties, we were launching small rockets that were built off of German V2s. So they had to be really, really small creatures to fit in these little nose cones. And we're talking about nose cones that might only be, uh, you know, a foot wide and a foot or two long. Um, so really cramped quarters. And yeah, that, that was kind of the idea was to make sure that, you know, can humans actually survive getting into space and living, breathing and eating and hopefully come back home. June 11th, 1948. The first ape to be launched in a rocket is a rhesus monkey by the name of Albert. The intention is not to technically send him into space. His flight on a V2 rocket will take him up into the atmosphere, but not past it, 63 kilometres straight up. 
Albert is sedated for the flight. There's no need for him to be awake. The test is purely to see if he can survive the conditions. So why put him through this, aware? The rocket launches, hits the atmosphere, and makes its way back to Earth. When it does, the scientists quickly discover that Albert has not made it back alive. At some point in the flight, he'd suffocated, possibly as early as before launch. And unfortunately for Albert, almost making it into space does very little to get you into the history books. It won't be until his successor, Albert II, that the Alberts become a household name. Here's Matthew Wood talking about Albert II and beyond. So the Albert project was kind of sad. None of the Alberts survived. The second Albert did make it into space. They reached uh, a little bit over 100 kilometers up, so 62 miles. But there was also the same problems that Albert had. Like, they're not sure if Albert II had succumbed to suffocation or heat or just the stress of launch. But the parachute failed on the way down and crashed the ground. Um, so they wouldn't have survived anyway. Later on, like towards the end of the 40s, there was, I think, Albert three and four. Yeah, 1949. Um, they made it even higher. They get up to 134 kilometers, but it didn't really. Albert Albert three, I think his rocket exploded on launch and didn't quite make it. Albert four made it up to like 80 kilometers, but the parachute also died and they crashed to the ground. So these were not very successful attempts. And NASA, well, they weren't NASA, I think, at the time, but, you know, the military program that was running this out in New Mexico was kind of reluctant to share a lot of these failures, although they did get out in the news, unlike where the Soviets just, you know, only told us about what was successful. But yeah, all Alberts, one through four, did not survive their attempts, and it was kind of brutal. NASA decides at this point that it's best to start sending up monkeys in pairs, the first duo is Abel, another rhesus monkey, and Miss Baker, a squirrel monkey, all the way from Peru. Together, on May the 28th, 1959, packed into the nose cone of a large Jupiter missile, they are both carried successfully to a 450-kilometre-plus altitude, travelling at over 16,000 kilometres an hour. They are both recovered alive and unharmed. Unfortunately, Abel doesn't survive long after landing, dying due to complications with anaesthesia and the removal of electrodes from his body. Miss Baker, meanwhile, not only survives, but becomes a bit of a celebrity. She lives well into the 1980s and has been buried outside the US Space and Rocket Center in Alabama. The next duo are rhesus monkey Sam and his partner Miss Sam, though they fly up separately. Their names are acronyms for the US Air Force's School of Aviation and Medicine, SAM. On December the 4th, 1959, Sam is launched inside a Mercury spacecraft atop a little Joe rocket to test if the Mercury capsule can successfully be ejected from the rocket. The test works, and the spacecraft reaches 51 miles into the air before safely landing in the Atlantic Ocean. Sam is recovered alive and well, 
he's sent back to the colony where he was trained, where he happily lives out the rest of his life. Miss Sam's flight is very similar. In another Mercury spacecraft ejection test that ultimately goes less high, she is safely recovered from the Atlantic Ocean and, much like her partner, sent back to her training colony to live out the rest of her life. Of course, with every successful trip, expectations build. These tests are getting more and more successful and NASA is getting closer and closer to its goal of safely sending humans into space. The press, as well as the country, are getting impatient, but NASA still has safety concerns they need to iron out. They need to know if it's possible to maintain logical thought in space. Here's our guest, Matthew Wood, talking about HAM, the very first chimpanzee in space. They wanted an animal that could function in a little bit more complex way. So they switched from like rhesus monkeys to chimpanzees because they're even closer to humans. They're a little bit bigger and they're smarter. So they decided they were going to be able to train um, some of these chimps to do certain tasks in space to get an idea of how astronauts might be able to function, you know, in their capsule. So, oh God, I think it was... Ham was the first chimpanzee to go up, and he was pretty famous. Let me see. So he was launched in 1961. So Gagarin was the Soviets' first human space flight. He was going up in April. Nobody knew that at the time. So there was so much pressure. Everybody thought the Russians could launch at any minute. They wanted to know when Alan Shepard was going to go up for his launch, but you know, NASA was being super cautious. So they said, okay, we're going to send up a chimpanzee. So they sent up Ham. And he went up to like between two and 300 kilometers and it was a really big success. Like he flew up, the rocket performed the way it's supposed to, the landing systems and the parachutes were perfectly, the Navy picked him up out in the Atlantic and it was a short flight. It's like 15, 16 minutes long, but he was a national hero because this was finally like proof that, you know, the United States was capable of sending a living creature into space bring them back safely and having them survive. Um, and during that time, he performed some tasks. He was doing, you know, moving levers and, you know, pressing buttons on command. They were able to train him to do that. And that was proof that not only, you know, could a living creature survive in space in that, you know, weightless environment, it was proof that they would be able to function, um, do things like eating and going to the bathroom and drinking water and, you know, thinking they weren't going to go crazy. And that was the hope. So. After that, they were cleared to launch Alan Shepard, but Yuri Gagarin went up in April and, you know, beat the Americans to the punch. Through the Iron Curtain to the Soviet Union, what were NASA's competition doing? Well, while the US were very concerned with ironing out every possible safety concern, testing cognitive thought with the chimpanzees, and trying to confront the idea of space madness... The Soviets don't overthink this nearly as much. Instead, they mainly just send up dogs. Dogs are much easier to obtain. They are so abundant that famously when a planned dog pilot absconds from Soviet care the night before a flight, the scientists simply head out onto the street and find a mutt to replace it. Much like the spider monkeys of NASA's early flights, 
The dogs are very small and can easily fit into tiny cockpits. Laika, the space dog, is almost certainly the most famous animal to be sent into space, much more so than any of the primates. But later on, in the 1980s and 90s, the Soviets begin to start testing with apes as well. This is for a very different purpose, however. While back in the heat of the space race, the concern was simply getting living beings up there, in the 80s and 90s, the concerns are more long-term, medical. The Soviet Bion satellite program is dedicated to examining the long-term effects of radiation on living beings who spend extended periods of time in space, say on a space station. Alongside mice and other kinds of animals, an assortment of primates are sent up with the Bion program to help discover if conditions are livable in the long term. Unfortunately, a lot of details of this research are impossible to access, as the Soviet program is very secretive. The Russian space monkeys, unfortunately, will never be as well known as their US equivalents. And back in the US, they're becoming celebrities. Matthew Wood talks here about how the public reacts to the space monkeys and begins to talk a little about our aforementioned tragic hero, Enos the chimpanzee. Um, they, they ate it up. <laughs> For the most part, people loved it. Like These guys were seen as national heroes, um, especially Ham. He was like on the cover of like Life magazine. I think there was even in the 50s or early 60s, I think there was like a campy weird television show with a space chimp i can't i can't remember what the name of it was but it was just you know all over the place and that continued on in like popular culture i mean we had like planet of the apes in the 70s and things like that i mean it's it was just wild and even even with ham success nasa was still wasn't done with the idea of sending chimps into space so ham was a suborbital flight so he just went out and came right back down same with Alan Shepard and then Gus Grissom. They were both suborbital flights. And the Soviets had sent Gagarin up and he orbited right on his first flight, just like they had sent up um, Lake of the Dog with Sputnik 2 before that. So the Soviets were still ahead of us. And John Glenn was up for the third flight and he was supposed to do the first American orbit around the Earth. But NASA you know, still wanted to be cautious. So they sent up another chimp named Enos to do an orbital flight before John Glenn could go up. And Enos had a really rough time of it. And this didn't come out right away after his flight. So his flight was successful, but like everything that could possibly go wrong without killing him went wrong on the flight. As mentioned back at the start of this episode, Enos lives for another couple of years after his flight, admittedly much more in obscurity than his contemporaries. After Enos, NASA launches a few more smaller monkeys to test various safety concerns, but ultimately finds less and less need for primates in space. Computers and humans begin to be able to fill the role that apes had been relegated to until the 1960s. Elsewhere in the world, however, monkeys continue to get boosted into the atmosphere. In the late 60s, 
France launches a pigtailed macaque called Martine into a long suborbital flight. She survives and technically becomes the first monkey to make it into space, as Ham and Enos were chimpanzees. In Argentina, a pair of experiments were conducted at a similar time, where monkeys were sent less than 100 kilometres into the atmosphere. Neither of them technically made it into space and were both recovered safely. Jumping forward in time to the early 2000s, the People's Republic of China launched their spacecraft, the Shenzhou-2, in January of 2001. Much like the Soviet Union, it's difficult to know for certain what happened here, but it's rumoured that a dog, rabbit and monkey went with the ship to test its life support systems. The limited information that is available suggests the landing was not a safe one and that the animals were unlikely to have survived. As far as we know, the final primate to go into space takes place in 2013 when Iran launches a monkey in their Pishgam rocket, 116 kilometres into the atmosphere. Again, little detail is known about this, as with the entire Iranian space programme. But to the best of anyone's knowledge, the monkey, another rhesus macaque named Aftab, makes it back safely. With the days of apes being used in space travel now seemingly behind us, and the landscape of space exploration changing drastically, Matthew Wood closes the episode for us by talking about the legacy of the space monkeys. I think it's a complicated one. I mean, I think the general public is much more aware of, you know, ethical issues with animals and whether it's not, whether it is or isn't ethical to send creatures up and do these experiments when they have no idea what's happening to them. I don't think today NASA would probably do something like this. I think most of the information we could get would be, you know, from sending robotic probes or, you know, testing on humans. I mean, that's what we've been doing with the space station for the last 20 years. But, you know, it's, as far as history goes, it's, it's a pretty historical moment to send these living creatures into space and be able to bring them back. But many of them didn't survive. And, you know, I think that's, that's one of those ethical things that NASA kind of has to wrestle, wrestle with a little bit. And, and, you know, the U S as a country, the same with the Soviet union. Um, but, you know, we don't really hear much about it anymore, but it's, I think it's important to remember that at the time they were, they were just seen as heroes and they were um, responsible for driving space exploration forward and, you know, eventually helping the United States beat the Soviets to the moon. So I think it's, I think it's a really, it's, it's a good legacy, but the ethical parts of it do mar it a little bit. So, you know, it's hard. It's, it's something we have to wrestle with. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. I'm Robin Harrison. A special thanks to our guest, Matthew Wood. You can check out Matthew's book, Space Race, How the Cold War Put Humans on the Moon, on Amazon. This episode was researched and written by Jack McGee. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song with a look into the fascinating story of the Mafia in the USA. 
For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook. Or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com. That's nzpodz.com. By giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service, you help us share this project with more listeners. So please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.